Welcome to the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast, where we continue the conversation that started on Sunday to help you become more like Christ throughout the week. I'm your host, Clay Wright. Let's get started. Hello and welcome back to the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast. My name is Clay Wright, and it's great to be back here again with you all. Nice helmet. Oh, thank you. I was actually going to say nice haircut, but uh, the elephant in the room, I suppose, is the fact that I'm wearing a helmet, uh, similar to uh, a Roman centurion in the first century. And that is because, of course, we have our Bethlehem walk coming up this weekend on you're Saturday and Sunday. into the character so already. I, I try. You know, it's... So this is, you're not here to demonstrate... Roman persecution against followers of Jesus. No, no, of course I'm just not. Just making sure. Yeah, no, no, there, there will be no active uh, persecution elements <laughs> in the podcast. Although we'll uh, be talking about it, but we will be talking be about demonstrating it. it. I can't speak for Bethlehem Walk itself, uh, unfortunately, or fortunately. So I know that they've been preparing uh, endlessly for that evening, and lots of study and preparation is going into it. So I sure hope people can come because. Uh, it's been great the last couple of years at Vermilion. Now it's our turn here in Illyria. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, if you haven't heard about it yet, come to Bethlehem Walk on Saturday and Sunday evenings. I think it's starting at six o'clock. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I will uh, perhaps be there. Perhaps. <laughs> perhaps wearing this helmet. <laughs> um, but anyhow, uh, we're here not just to talk about Bethlehem Walk, but especially to talk about the Word of God and Amen. to yes. get into stuff that got cut out of the sermon from this last Sunday, and actually from these last couple of weeks. You know, we've True. we've uh, we haven't um, met, we haven't had a, a podcast for a while. I know, the in, two of us in this uh, this flipped. Uh, sermon series. So uh, did you want to share at all about that flipped concept? I know obviously you've preached about it quite a lot at this point, but... Um, well, I was, I remember I was uh, looking at some jokes from Flip Wilson. Oh, really? And so I just thought, I mean, I'll use his... No, no, <laughs> to people don't know who Flip Wilson is. I, I don't know who it is, he's but a, I... He's a comedian from the 70s and 80s. Oh, really? <laughs> there you go. So some, some, some of our listeners are laughing. <laughs> some. One. Uh, yeah, so... Just struck by how unconventional Jesus's words were, mm. um, but not just unconventional. There are multiple times where he literally flips like 180 degrees yeah. um, a, 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 a away from what you would expect him to say. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the reasons that Jesus's teaching was so compelling, because he kept using turns of phrases or kept taking things that people understood and then flipping them. And giving yeah. brand new meaning, whether it was, um, you know, saying things like, well, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you, whether it's that kind of thing or whether he's saying something like in the Beatitudes where you're expecting him to say one thing and he just goes right against that expectation. Mm-hmm. Or you have a certain understanding about something and then Jesus flips that understanding. So yeah. the, 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 the whole language of flip just came from watching Jesus is teaching how he did this again and again. Some mm-hmm. people call it the upside down kingdom. Yes. Um, and in the first sermon, I gave some examples. You know, those who are first will be last. The last will be first. Um, you know, you want to be a servant. You want to be great. Be a servant of all. Um, there's a couple other I, I, I mentioned. You remember the first one I mentioned there in the, in the sermon? I can't remember. Um um, yeah, I, I can't remember what they are now, but there's plenty of examples of Jesus uh, introducing kingdom concepts by turning it upside down yeah. and uh, flipping it. So that's that was the basic idea. 
we really could have used this title flipped for for the rest of Luke chapter 6 because mm-hmm. Jesus is about to say some other things that, you know, like, for instance, love your enemies. Yeah. Well, we were taught in the Old Testament to hate your enemies right. through example and through uh, teaching. And so Jesus says, no, we're going to flip that. I want you to love your enemies. What? Mm-hmm. You know, that's not what we expected you to say, Jesus. Right. Um, it, especially it, as, as yeah. quote unquote Messiah, because you're right. there, you're there to destroy our enemies. Exactly. <laughs> you're there to defeat our enemies. So we're not sure we understand, but I don't think we're interested <clears throat> in this idea of loving our enemies. How is that going to help us defeat them? Right. <laughs> yeah, and and I think we may share more in common a, a little a little bit just in our expectations with the first century audience when it comes to a, a, com- a command like love your enemies. Uh, because that's that seems weird to us. It seemed weird to them. And and the Beatitudes, which we've been studying in Luke, they did seem strange. But to us, I, I feel like they're strange to us in a way that it kind of lets some air out of the balloon. Like mm. we feel a little bit deflated, like, oh, man, that's I don't feel like it fits me. Yeah. What Jesus is describing, you know, the poor, the hungry, those who are weeping. You know, maybe when we talk about weeping and weeping, there there may be some more overlap. Mm-hmm. Um but then with, with persecution, uh, as we were talking about this last week, or being you know, canceled, as you shared, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's not a lot of us regular folk who are, you know, yeah. living in the Midwest, just kind of doing the Jesus thing. And so it's, it feels like almost discouraging to us to read. Like, it's like, man, this is a hard teaching, Jesus. And, and yet, when the disciples first heard it, they mm-hmm. also weren't experiencing that. Oh, interesting. Uh, so, yeah. you know, at that moment, they're like, we're not being persecuted. No one's mm-hmm. hating us. Jesus, what are you saying? I mean, insulted. I don't, I, maybe I've been insulted, but sure. I've not been rejected. But that's why it's so interesting that Jesus says, when, you know, blessed are you when people hate you. Yeah. So it's a, it's coming. And uh, sure enough, as we said in the sermon, it, it did come uh, and recorded later in the Gospels and also in the book of Acts. But but just to your to your point, the moment they're hearing it, they might be thinking the same thing. You know, what does this have to do with us? You know, mm-hmm. we're, 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 right. we're serving the king who's going to be the, the Messiah, who's going to rule. Why would anyone hate us? I mean, anyone's going to love us because we're going to make everything right. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. The Ro- maybe, maybe he means when the Romans hate us, but that's not what Jesus was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and so as we, you know, as we think about the Beatitudes, um, can you share with us a little bit more about, and, and you just kind of did a little bit how, He's talking to a specific audience. Mm-hmm. Just set the stage for us again. Who is he talking to and how does right. it impact our understanding? Yeah, so let's let's turn to the beginning of Luke chapter 6, um, or not the total beginning, but um, actually it's verse 17 is, is where I want to start. Uh, he, he, goes, he says, we went down with them and stood in a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all Judea. So, so here's the setting. Jesus has... Uh, been up on a mountain in the transfiguration and uh, no, not transfiguration, the prayer. He's been praying uh, and asking God, okay, who are these 12 disciples that I'm going to call? And seeking God. Uh, it says he was praying all night. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then he comes down and, and it seems like I almost showed a picture of this um, in uh, th- that first sermon, how the terrain of that area where we think Mount of Beatitudes is, where Jesus gave the Beatitudes. Um, or where Jesus would have been praying, like at Mount Arbel, perhaps you've been there. Yes, um, it's there's there's levels, and so you could be up on top, 
uh, some people say think that Jesus was up on top, giving the the, the beatitudes from Matthew, and then he came down to a level place. Mm. Uh, other people think no, these are two different, uh, completely two different passages. Uh, Jesus went up on like Mount um, uh, Tabor or mm. perhaps Mount Arbel and went up there and prayed all night, and then he came down. And so a, a lot of the train there is instead of really steep, like you know the, the Tetons and in our country that are. There's no levels. It's just, you know, really steep. They're more sloping. So you could be on top of a mountain praying or something else and then come down to a, a rather level place. Mm-hmm. And so in 617, when he talks about yeah. uh, kind of a, a level place um, um, in verse verse 17 there, the he's got his 12 that he's calling, that he's naming. And then he's got a, a, a large crowd of other disciples Interesting, the same word that he uses for the 12 is the same word here of this large crowd of disciples. There's, so there's no distinction at this yep. point between somewhere following close and somewhere following from a distance. But the 12, as we watch Luke unfold, is going is gonna to show that Jesus spends a lot of time with the 12. So there's a distinction already happening between the, the 12 and the other disciples. It'll get it'll be a significant as we go further through the the gospel, and then there's this large crowd from Tyre and Sidon and Jerusalem and Judea, who have walked in days, and so um, I think that makes a big deal because when Jesus talks about, for instance, the blessed are you poor, uh, he's not he doesn't say blessed are the poor. So this is this is not a general statement that Jesus is making to all poor people. He's speaking to specific people, my disciples and those those of you who are poor. And, of course, there's rich there as well. So he says, woe to you who are rich. So I think it makes it more uh, real. Jesus is speaking to real people who are in real circumstances. Yeah. And while you know we can always draw principles from the teaching of Jesus, I don't think that Jesus' main point here is to teach in generalistic principle kind of ways. I think he's speaking to to people who don't feel blessed. You know, I'm poor. I don't I don't have any, as much to eat as somebody else. I, right. I I'm I'm struggling, and and it's hard. You know, and Jesus says, "Blessed are you." That just got to get their attention. They're like, "Well, mm-hmm. I'm not blessed. What do you mean I'm blessed?" <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I think it's important when we're trying to interpret what Jesus is saying here that we look at those interpretive clues uh, that are given there by Luke. Right, and so then obviously we're not. Even though we're disciples of Jesus, we're not the ones, you know, you can get into the conversation about the the Bible is not written to us, but it is written for us. Exactly. You know, that, and, you know, yeah. those can be synonymous phrases. I think this is that's a great example of this. Yes. And, and so even though it's not to us, and, and, you know, those of us who are below the poverty line in America today, you mm-hmm. know, it's not... It's not that Jesus is saying, well, since since you're technically below the poverty line, there's actually a blessing that I'm giving to you. Um, or well, as some people would say, since there's a blessing on poor people, I want to get poor. Mm-hmm. You know, that is a misunderstanding of what Jesus is saying in Luke six. Right. And, and so then, uh, help us understand again, just kind of in general terms, how is it for us? You know, as we're doing that work as students of the word, mm-hmm. trying to apply it, because yes. we, we don't want to just read it to understand, although we understand, yeah, Jesus is speaking to a specific audience, mm-hmm. but then what does that mean for my walk with Christ and my following of him? Yeah, I think it's such a good question and so important when we're trying to interpret the scriptures, and I, especially with the first sermon. I did a lot of that interpretive work right in the sermon, mm-hmm. helping people see. So, you know, in this story, you're more inclined to be connected with the rich people yeah. than you are, you know, the poor people, even though 
you know, I, I often think of myself as poor compared to other people. <laughs> and I know there's people in our church who feel like, you know, I am poor, you mm -hmm. know. Um, in fact, I know a person who was offended by the fact that I was saying that you're probably rich because you live in America and they, they were not feeling that way. Yeah. Uh, but as we draw the principle, it's not so much about, you know, what do I do when I'm poor, but is how could there be a blessing? What kind of blessing would fall upon a person who is poor? And as we unpack that and begin to realize, well, poor people are more likely, probably, and that's the language I kept using, more likely, um, to be aware of God, dependent on God, sensitive to God, because they can't whip out a checkbook and pay for everything they they want or and need, and they don't know where they're going to get some of their next meals. And so their life circumstances uh, makes them more inclined to be dependent upon God. Yeah. And of course, whenever we're dependent upon God, that's that's a good life. That's yeah. a that's where God wants us to be. And so there's there's that blessing. So that's what I can apply is can I can I main can I cultivate a kind of sensitivity to God, a dependence on God, yeah. and not be blind to the treachery of riches that tend to, you know, blind my eyes, that tend to cause me to be more independent. Right. And then without even realizing it, I'm kind of distancing myself from God and I'm becoming an independent person. And uh, that's prized in America. An independent person is a self-sufficient person, mm -hmm. a mature person, a, a a person everybody else wants to be like. But yeah. in the kingdom of God, independence actually either can be sin or lead us to sin mm. because it's um, we're, we're made to be dependent upon God. That's right. So, uh, you know, you could describe the first sins as people seeking independence. Mm hmm. Yeah. Uh, so. And and I think what's so interesting about the Beatitudes and, and something that I love that you said in that first sermon was let's let Jesus's words oh. have their weight. Yeah. And because there's there's a there's a you know, there's definitely a way of over reading scripture. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. we, we've been talking about this in pastor's right. class right. a little bit, but there's ways of over reading it. And yet there's also you know, ways of underreading it. Mm -hmm. So I, I think it's good for us to read it. And it's going to, you know, if you're reading these words of Jesus and believing them and trying to receive them and mm -hmm. it's bothering you, mm -hmm. I think we should let it bother us. Yes. <laughs> don't, don't try to, don't try to look deeper into it to try to excuse that. Mm -hmm. But I also think that there's a lot of complexity with the Beatitudes. There is. And there's a lot of folks who, oh my. you know, it's not, it's, it's not a, it's not an easy, I mean, I know, for, you know, I, I got to preach on the third Beatitude and woe pair. Mm -hmm. It was not an easy sermon to write. Yeah. Um, and also your scripture was very small. You had like a, a, <laughs> like a half of a verse, you know, that you were covering. Yeah. Yes, but which does did a great job with it. Thank you. Well, uh, and, I, and, and so I know, did the other guys as well. They did. And, and but talking with them, I know they felt the same way. Man, man, this is this is this is difficult. But but don't, as a as a preacher, just we can do preacher talk for a minute here. Mm -hmm. I, I love when I look at the text for the first time and go, "What am I going to say from this?" Or <laughs> "How is this relevant?" Or "I don't, I, I don't, I don't know that this this doesn't seem like a good text." And I'm mm. like, "Oh man." And I and I feel bad for saying that, but that's the way I have felt sometimes looking at a text. And in this case, it might be I need more material. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, there's not enough to talk about. But uh, almost kind of being forced. In this case, I'm the one that forced you. This is your text, you know, Clay and yeah. the other campus pastors. You know, it's like 
um, you're stuck with it. You know, you yeah. can't you can't elaborate because I'm preaching on the next one exactly. the next week, and so you're stuck. And that pushes us mm-hmm. to go a little deeper, ask some questions that we may not have other asked, we may have skipped over. Yeah. So it, it, it's over and over again. I have found that w- even though a, a first blush, I may not have thought there was much here or not enough here. By digging in and by yes. listening, I began to discover the kinds of things that made me realize, oh my gosh, I could preach a whole series. Yep. And I, I flip from there's not enough here to mm-hmm. I don't have enough time yeah. to cover all the stuff that I, that's here. I, it's a neat, it's a neat uh, transition to go through. Yeah, for me, it's within the sermon writing processes, I'll be like, I'll, I'll be writing and, and thinking to myself, man, I really hope this ends up being long enough. And then I'll <laughs> get to the end and I'll read it back and I'm, and I'm like... Man, I'm, this is like an hour-long sermon. I got to start cutting back. That's right. But <laughs> as I was studying and, and kind of digging into that deeper level, and again, I don't think this is over-reading, although you know, that is a danger because Jesus' words are just, they're compelling uh, and they're powerful. But how much did you look into the word makarios, and mm-hmm. do you have a preferred translation? Because I know you you brought it up, but it's you know, that that word for blessing is. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm laughing because you still have the helmet on every time. I, no, I know, I, I can't take it off at this point. You know, I'm committed to the bit. Yeah, uh, Lakarios gets can be translated happy, um, mm-hmm. uh, blessed. Um, it can be seen as the good life. You know, um, it can be seen as an a, a, an attitude. Some people like to actually say the B yeah. attitudes. You know. Yeah. And there, there's definitely good uh, biblical support for for having and you know making these into attitudes. Yeah, uh, an attitude of uh, being poor in spirit, mm-hmm. uh, and it's some again from Matthew five, Matthew five. Um, so um, I think, especially in Luke, this which is I prefer to stay with with Luke here. Uh, I think he is actually describing the blessed, uh, the blessing of God upon you. Yeah, and because this is a word that gets translated in the Septuagint. Which is the old, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. When you hear people say Septuagint, um, I want to talk about the seventy now. Oh yeah, um, <laughs> um, uh, you're referring to not only a Greek translation of the Old Testament, but highly likely, mm-hmm. especially with Paul, uh, the the Bible he was reading. Yes, he actually may have been reading more from the Septuagint than he was from. The Hebrew Scriptures, mm-hmm. even though as a Jew he could read the, the Hebrew, it's just that Greek was was the common language, the yeah. Koine language. Yeah, and so when you get to the Greek translation of Old Testament words for happy or blessed, it's makarios over and over again. So, mm-hmm. um, blessing is a very, very strong and um, common Old Testament yeah. teaching, and starting I, in Deuteronomy and well, starting in Genesis, yeah, and then going into Deuteronomy. And I personally have had trouble wrapping my mind around the idea of blessing because I think a lot of time we don't have to talk a lot about this because this is getting into this is probably getting into like an overreading level. But but that's what CRF's all that's what cutting the floor is all about. So so when we think about (laughs) blessing and excuse my nerdy analogies here, but it's I feel like there are different ways that people talk about it. One way is that it's, you know, when God blesses a person, he's like giving them this like spiritual artifact, like here's one blessing. Mm -hmm. And so something is going to, you know, you can use that however you want. It's going to go well for you at some point, Mm -hmm. but it's like, you know, I'm trying to store up blessings. And so I want God to bless me and to give me like good luck on things. (laughs) And it's like, that's okay. That, that feels like not, it's almost like there's, 
there's a there's a limited amount of the blessing. Yeah. So, for example, in the Old Testament, when uh, is it I, Isaac is blessing his sons? Bless me too, Father. Yeah, and he's like, I, there's none left. That's I already right. gave it away. It's like, wait, okay, wait a second. Is that right. is there a limited number of these blessing? Mm. Like they're not objects, but like spiritual things that mm. he can only give one of them away. Yeah, that feels really. Of course, that's strange to me. Sure, but that's a man. Um, that's mm-hmm. um, uh, Isaac. Is that right? That the father in that story? Uh, that's Isaac. Right? I, it's a Jacob and Esau. And yeah, I, yeah, yeah, so yeah Isaac. Isaac's the father. Um, but, you know, the blessings of God are unlimited. Right. And so uh, we don't want to draw a conclusion of who God is by looking at godly people. Right. Uh, or ungodly in, in Isaac's case sometimes. <laughs> But I can see what you're saying. It mm-hmm. comes from this limited supply, which is why I love Ephesians. You know, mm-hmm. uh, praise be to God who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing yes. uh, in God. So, yeah, whereas, and that kind of gets into the other. You know, when I read Proverbs, for example, or or even like some of the wisdom Psalms, mm-hmm. blessing seems more like a path that leads to life, yeah. or a way of being that is, you know, happy, or uh, you know, in that sense, because you're living. Sort of, you're you're not kicking against the goads, right? You're you know, in relationship you're, with God, exactly, which is where the blessing comes from. And that, know? you know, I don't I don't know if they're both biblical ways of thinking about blessing. I I really struggle with that first way, although that's how how I kind of. Yeah, I think the way I would separate it is, yeah, there's two different ways. One of them is God's blessing, and mm-hmm. one of them is man's blessing. Mm-hmm. So so yeah, I I have a limited amount of blessings that I can give my son and my daughter daughters. You have a limited amount of blessings, but God is unlimited. So. Yeah. So for sure, there's two different ways of speaking about blessing in that respect, divine versus human. Uh, but we wouldn't, we don't want to again impose it upon God that God has a limited supply. Right. That's that scarcity mentality. Yeah, I, I just think it's interesting to think about. Okay, when we say uh, I'm blessed or God has blessed me, mm-hmm. what is that? What do we? Yeah. What does that mean? Yeah, I think of, of, of God's favor yeah. uh, resting upon you, and uh, I don't think of it so much as everything's going to go right for you. Mm-hmm. As much as it is, um, you know, you the, the the presence of God, you know, is surrounding you in tangible ways or in ways that you can sense. Yeah, and there's a joy about you because you know who was more blessed than Jesus, and yet his life wasn't devoid of problems or difficulties. Right. So, um, I think we want a, a lot. We want to define blessing as, uh, you know, a life of no problems mm-hmm. and a life of smooth sailing. Right. But um, actually, the, the the way of adversity is a way of blessing. Yeah. It's a way of, of of deepening and moving into the blessing of God because we yeah. come to know God better. We come to know ourselves better in adversity. And that's what I was going to say. We, we want to define it that way, but Jesus doesn't give us no. that option. Right. And so, and that's kind of moving into uh, our text for this last week, you know, this last uh, beatitude, blessed are you and people hate you when they exclude you and insult you mm-hmm. and reject your name as evil because of the son of man. Mm-hmm. And then actually this other phrase, rejoice in that day and leave for joy because great is your reward in heaven for that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. And then the accompanying woe, woe to you when everyone speaks well of you for that's how their ancestors treated the false prophets. The false prophets. Yeah. And, and yet this is not a strange idea to Jesus's teaching. This is a, this is a, a bit of a theme. And mm-hmm. so I, I wondered um, as you were studying this, what other elements in Jesus's teaching did you encounter, or other texts in in his ministry, or in the you know in the New Testament more broadly? 
Um, you mean in terms of the blessing theme? Or what, what, um, just like Jesus clarify. talking about this idea of uh, being persecuted or being hated oh, because gotcha. of his name. You know, that's... Oh, man, yeah. You're exactly right. This is not a standalone text that's isolated. Mm-hmm. Um, he talks about this, uh, especially when he's talking about the coming of the Son of Man mm. and and in the times where he's preparing his disciples to send them out. So, like for instance, Matthew 10, uh, starting in Matthew 9, but in, in Matthew 10, Jesus sends out the the disciples to, uh, as apostles, to heal, to preach, to travel from, from town to town. And as a part of preparing them for that, he he warns them and says, well, we can just turn to Matthew 10 and see that. Sure. And, and talks about how, you know, um, you will be, he actually, I think, uses the word persecuted in Matthew 10. And he's preparing them uh, for what's going to happen. Yeah, Matthew 10, 1, he calls the 12 disciples to him, gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every sickness and disease. Gives the name of them. And then in verse 5, he starts off with these instructions, you know, where to go, what to preach, um, what to say, what to do, how to bless them. And uh, get down to into the, the teens, 14, 15. Um, then you get down to verse oh, 17. Be on your guard against men. They will hand you over to the local councils and flog you in their synagogues. Well, I had to get their attention. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Because this is, we're in Matthew 10. This is relatively early in Jesus's ministry. And in this phrase, on my account, you will be brought before governors and kings. This is similar to when he says in, back in our passage in Luke, uh, blessed are you when people hate you, exclude you, insult you, and judge you on account of me or because of the son of man. So same kind of language here in verse 18 of Matthew 10. And this happened. They were brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them. We literally see that in Acts chapter 4 and mm-hmm. 5, um, verse 19. But when they arrest you, they did get arrested. <laughs> uh, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you'll be given what to say, for it be the, won't be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Mm. And these are just terrible words. Verse 21, brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. And then this is the verse that's most relevant to the actual language of Luke 6. All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Hmm. Verse 23, when you are persecuted, you know, so, and he goes on and gives instructions. So this word, verse 22, in Missio, it's the same Greek word for hate as in Luke chapter 6. Yeah. Um, and so... It seems like there's kind of a, a double layer meaning here that Jesus is referring to. Okay, when I send you out, this is going to happen. You, some people are going to bless you. Some people are going to curse you. Some people are going to love you. Some people are going to hate you. When you are hated, remember, you know, they hated me first. Or, you know, when you are hated, um, you know, just remember what I said. This is going to happen because of me. And uh, when you're persecuted. So, uh, there's that first layer, but some of this language sounds also similar to the end of days, yeah. you know, to the coming of the Son of Man, the, the second coming of Christ. And uh, I think it, it, it fits that kind of a double layer prophecy uh, going to be um, fulfilled in a matter of days and going to be fulfilled, you know, in the, in the end times. Uh, because there's lots of other language that Jesus uses when he is describing the end times. And he talks about this flogging, this 
this um, being arrested, this being persecuted. Yeah. Um, so it's it's language that Jesus talks enough about, and this is just one example. He talks about it in John 15, the night before he dies. You know, yeah. it's this last message before he, he leaves. He wants them to know you're going to be persecuted, you're going to be hated. Um, I think I quoted John 15, 18. Um, yes. Remember when they hate you, it's because they hated me yeah. first, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, so these other places where Jesus talks about this reinforces what you had said earlier in the question. You know, is this is a one-time thing that Jesus said, or is this repeated again and again and again? So uh, it's repeated so often, it definitely got the attention of the the writers, and so they wrote these stories down. They wrote down these sayings. Yeah. And for us, we need to be expecting. That's why point one of the sermon was expect this to happen. Right. Whether it's this week, you know, I I, I kind of doubt anyone's going to be hated this week, but they might because mm-hmm. if you look at our culture, if we can pull back now and talk about twenty twenty three. Just in the last 12 months, in the last two months, uh, last uh, two years, I can see an escalation Mm. in hate speech. I can see an escalation against Christians Mm. uh, that's that's starting to approach um, uh, what would you call, you know, minor persecution. Mm -hmm. The level of exclusion, the level of, you know, it's certainly, this is interesting throughout history that you can look at is there, there were times where being a Christian... Uh, got you killed, mm-hmm. and then there was a switch in the 300s mm-hmm. AD where being a Christian got you clout, <laughs> um, and now it's been you know rising and falling and rising, and now we've gotten you know, we we peaked in a point where being a Christian made you more likely to get accepted in a job and you know all the, all these sorts of things. Mm-hmm. But we're sort of turning the curve, and now it's starting to be. Oh yeah, um, yeah, especially in America. Not that way, yeah. So, so it's getting to a point where, and this is to me one of the dramatic questions that I feel God impressing onto my heart is, uh, you know, what what will following me look like when the only thing to be gained is me? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And uh, because right right now there's a lot of things. Even now, you know, I I gain a lot from following Jesus. You know, I've got folks who love me, who appreciate my role as a pastor. Um, but, you know, there will be a day when um, that won't be the case, potentially. Yeah. Uh, if not for you, your children, mm-hmm. um, you know, un- unless there's some, you know, incredible, incredible revival that takes place in the U.S., uh, we are definitely headed, all the signs are showing that we're headed towards yeah. darker days yeah. and more difficult days. Um, and then, as I said in the sermon, I think you know one of the things that it struck me was that I think because of that, um, uh, people like you and like your children, um, uh, who are you know, faithfully walking with Jesus, I think you guys will develop an a, a, an ability and and an apologetic and uh, an art of navigating through that and articulating the faith and. You know, some of the things that Paul wrote that we cherish today were written in the face of adversity. And mm-hmm. so there's a there's a sharpening of the message. There's a sharpening of the apologetic. There's a sharpening of of uh, a logical uh, argument that someone's making. The, the more they are facing that adversity, you, you get better and better at that. And you, therefore, you get more and more clarity and you, you get language that's that's, you know, I think, you know, sharpened and easier for people to grasp. So yeah. that could be another blessing that comes from the adversity of persecution, the adversity of being canceled. 
um, the adversity of being hated. And um, so that, that could be another blessing coming down the, the pike as well. Mm, yeah. And, and so when you, I mean, I, I think it, the, a lot of the things that you're describing are clear to see um, just in, in terms of what's going on in the broader culture. How should we think and feel about that as mm. believers? You know, should we be trying to, you know, work against that? Mm -hmm. Should we be accepting it? Should we be afraid of it? This is why it's preaching through a book in the Bible is so helpful because we come to passages like this that you may not pick this. If you're looking, let's talk about a topical message. How about, a, here's one, let's talk about persecution. You know, let's talk about when you're getting hated. Mm -hmm. um, you know, a lot of people probably wouldn't right. land on this. But as preaching through Luke, we hear these words of Jesus, and I translated it, so to speak, as to say, expect this. So my first qu answer to your question is, what should, how should we you know, go about uh, re re responding to this? We need to expect. And I think I said in both, both hours, uh, you know, we need to train our kids to expect this and absolutely not run away from it, absolutely not hope that it, you know, never happens to the point that we don't get prepared for it. Mm -hmm. But let's take Jesus's words again at face value. He's warning them. He's predicting that this, he's saying this is going to happen when it happens. Yeah. And um, I think maybe the older I get, the more I, I feel the urgency to prepare the next generation mm -hmm. for walking with Christ. And for, it feels to me like this is very, very relevant. Yeah. While I may not have chosen it, the Holy Spirit did yes. for me. And uh, I hope that parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles will take to heart some of the warnings that I, I gave and, and some mm -hmm. of the encouragements that I gave to you know, train your children, train your grandchildren. Let's talk about these things. Yeah. Um, and obviously when you're, when you're training for combat, like in the army, for example, you you expect to be receiving fire, mm -hmm. you know, and, and to be under fire, these mm -hmm. sorts of things. And yet, there's also an element, and, and and you train for that, you prepare for it. But there's also an element that, you know, folks, you, you and I have not experienced war, um, and, and so there's a an element in which we don't know how we will respond <laughs> until the bullets are flying. Right. So how can we uh, prepare? You know, when you're going into armed combat, there's obvious ways to, to prepare, you mm -hmm. know, you practice your rifle skills, you practice formations and communicating skills. Right. What are the analogs to, right. to uh, that? A couple of things come to my mind. Uh, number one is hide the scripture in your heart. Mm -hmm. You know, um, oh, I've heard stories about uh, prisoners. Is this, was this also true of Dietrich Bonhoeffer when I was reading about him? that they would write scripture on toilet paper. Am I getting this? Am I, I, I might be blending some stories. But. I've not heard that, but it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, so, you know, so so um, while we have scripture available, memorize it, know it, talk about it, tell stories from it, you know, pass it on, because the day may come when all you have, the only scripture you have is what you've hid in your heart, and what you've memorized in your in your mind. And so... Um, that's the first thing that comes to my mind. The second thing that comes to my mind is to, you know, Paul says, or yeah, Peter says, gird your loins, you know, and the King James version of first Peter one 14 or something, um, you know, prepare for action, prepare yeah. for these days. And, you know, Ephesians chapter six, Paul uses this kind of language of, you know, prepare for the day of evil temptations coming attacks are coming from the, from the evil one. So whether it's hiding scripture in your mind or whether it's, 
you know, boning up on what do I actually believe and, and anticipating, okay, this is how I might respond in that day. You know, again, first Peter three fifteen says, you know, always be ready to give a, a defense, give a reason for the, the hope that you have. Uh, that's apologetics. That's mm-hmm. giving that argument. And so, you know, when, when I was a kid, my mom and dad did these things called sword drills. <laughs> And I just thought they were a blast. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we didn't have Game Boys. We didn't have a video in the car. And so when we would go on long trips, we would bring our Bibles. And this may sound like ultra spiritual to some people. But, again, we didn't have the technology mm-hmm. to play games, uh, video games, things like that. So my my parents were, were trying to instill in us kids a knowledge of the Bible. And so they turned it into a, a game where mom or dad would say, okay, you know, you know, look up, you know, Romans 3.23. It's an important verse, and we hadn't memorized it yet, and so, you know, we had to look it up. And so we needed to know, you know, is Romans in the New Testament or the Old Testament? Where is it in the New Testament? Mm-hmm. Um, and then we, we needed to be able to read that verse, and they would, for some verses, they would challenge us to you know, go to them enough times that that became a favorite verse. Okay, now it's a verse we've got memorized, and so now they're not going to tell us the, who, who's the first one to get to Romans 3.23, because we all know it. And so they're going to expand the, the knowledge of Scripture by taking us to other Scriptures. Mm-hmm. So we get to know our Bible. Yeah. Uh, and to this day, uh, you know, th- there's, there's things I can remember from those days that I learned. Um, and uh, so I get to know my Bible. I get to know the content of my Bible, not just the framework, but the content and, you know, I am letting Scripture form me. And my parents mm. were practicing spiritual formation. Yeah. They were getting their kids ready, you know, not by talking about in militia terms, you know, we're getting ready for that battle, you know, <laughs> a stock hold, you know, stockpile, you know, arms and weapons. But they were preparing our minds, preparing our hearts. Mm. And, uh, and so we were able to give a defense. We were able to know the Scriptures. We were able to... To uh, to use scripture in a way that we could defend our faith, or in a way that could comfort us, in a way that could prepare us. Yeah, I think those are some of the first things that come to my mind. Um, you can even do role play. You know, we role play is a fantastic way to prepare someone for mm-hmm. something that's going to happen. Yeah, there's um, for in in a lot of colleges when they're preparing folks to be, uh, you know. Like debaters or something? Uh, not debaters. Yes, deba- debaters, but but uh, in residence life okay. to, to deal with counseling situations, oh, okay. they'll role play. I don't know. I've, I've heard it ta- used uh, under these terms in multiple colleges, so I don't know how common it is, but the the, the uh, practice is called behind closed doors. That's mm. what they call it. And so you all get into a room, and some of the more experienced um, residence life people will pretend to be you know, folks in all these challenging circumstances and you have to respond to them That's and great. you play it out in front of all That's the rest of them. Great practice. And I, and I also know from my sports career, but also just broadly reading about neuroscience, there's a lot of power to picturing and yes. imagining. And so you can prepare, you know, when someone asks me, you know, do you believe in this Jesus? Mm-hmm. And there's a threat 
associated with that or they're you know the, under what circumstances are they starting to mock me for it mm-hmm. how am i going to respond what's how, so i can plan and imagine myself loving well mm-hmm. the same way i could That's plan beautiful. and imagine myself making a th- free throw shot yeah. in in high school mm-hmm. it's just you're just planning for success you're planning to be like jesus and with those neural pathways, not only are you're harnessing the power of picturing that, but the repetition, mm-hmm. you know, deepens those neural yeah. pathways. So when you are perhaps surprised, um, you know, by persecution or surprised by something, you, you kind of revert back to your training. Well, you know, deep in the, you know, the caverns of my mind, I have been prepared for this. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and woe to the person who has not had any preparation and who is completely and thoroughly surprised. Mm-hmm. You know, I think again of the language of Peter, you know, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that you're in, that you're in. Yeah. This is what this was promised. This was predicted. And, and so the, the, the worst scenario is when, because pastors and parents and families have failed to equip people that persecution, persecution comes or the cancel culture culture happens and I'm so unprepared that I'm just, you know, dumbfounded. I don't know what to say. I, my faith gets wrecked. Um, uh, I say something or do something stupid because I was unprepared. Or I walk out on God because, you know, I didn't, nobody told me this was going to happen. Yeah. Um, that's, that's the, like one of the worst consequences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, well, you know, this, even in Matthew 20, 10, 22, uh, didn't we read that? Um, let's see here, ten twenty-two. All men will still hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Yeah. Whoops. Um, so there's this this sense of of uh, this is coming, and it's going to take you persevering, and if you do, you know you'll you'll make it. Well, that's that's like a promise there. That okay, okay, this is going to come, and it's going to be testing, and it's going to be hard. But if I persevere to the end, I'll be saved. So I'm, I'm prepared already mentally. I want to persevere. I want to make it to the end. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And versus folding and giving up. Yeah. And of course, you know, we, we don't have to get all the way into this, but inherent in that language is the question, okay, but what if you don't persevere? You know, <laughs> what, what would that look like? And, and I, I do think, I mean, it's sad, it's sad to say, but it's very true. Many people who now profess faith, under serious persecution will assume, oh, I guess I was wrong. Yeah. I, I guess I was wrong about Jesus. You know, maybe this Christianity thing is is not legit. The the the, the epistles predict it. Mm-hmm. Many will fall away. Yeah. Jesus did Jesus predicted it. Yeah. And and so that's um Yeah, you're right. That brings up the question, well, were they really Christians in the first place? Yeah. Or, you know, were they just practicing cultural Christianity, and that's a whole different podcast. Right. <laughs> yeah, well, one of these days. <laughs> but um, th- there's something that uh, I-, I was thinking about as we were first reading that Matthew text, which is not only is this a theme in Jesus's teaching, but I think one of the one of the comforts that Jesus is trying to afford to the folks that he's speaking to in Luke 6 is the fact that uh, they are not alone in this when this happens. Oh, that's and good. So that's what I want to shift to talking or asking you about what's the function of Jesus's language when he's talking about, you know, blessed are you, rejoice in that day, for this is how uh, your ancestors treated mm-hmm. the prophets versus, you know, woe to you, for that's how your ancestors treated the false prophets. Yeah. What's the function of that language? Because you didn't get all the way into no. that in the sermon. In fact, I hardly touched on it at all. 
Uh, and that's one of the things that, you know, that I left, I left out just due right. to time. Um, yeah, so there's this, you know, I think of that, is it Hebrews 12 and talks about the cloud of witnesses? I, 11, yeah. He was 11, yeah. Um, and so, you know, there's this biblical concept that of the, the people of faith and uh, those who walked with God and mm. were in a company with, were in company with them. Yeah. And uh, that's a beautiful picture um, that comes, the, the, the Bible comes back to again and again. And we can learn you know, how to be faithful by watching our ancestors or like vice versa. We can learn the lessons from people who did not follow the, the ancestors. Mm-hmm. You know, what does Paul say in first Corinthians 10, you know, uh, the, the, the scripture, these things, these stories have happened so that, uh, those upon whom the end of ages have fallen, you know, will not give up, will not lose heart. Mm. And so he's referring to all these stories in the Old Testament uh, of prophets and faithful men and women um, whose stories become encouragement to us. And so I think that is a huge encouragement to, to for Jesus to associate. You know, these things happened to the prophets who were very revered yes. and very respected, and mm-hmm. everybody looked up to them. I mean, I'm putting you in the same company as them. Wow. You know, that's pretty high language. You know, it's pretty high marks. Um, uh, so Jesus is, is throwing a little encouragement in there that you're in good company when you experience this. Don't feel like you're alone because, of course, that's one of the things that, that, that Satan likes to do is when we are tempted, when we are hated, when we are persecuted, when adversity comes, the, one of the first things he tries to do is just isolate us, separate us. You know, this is all your fault. You're all by yourself. There's no one here to help you. Right, right. Uh, You deserve this. This is, you know, you're just going to have to endure it because this is, this is what the result of you being a bad person. And, you you know, you're probably not going to make it, you know, you know, all these things that try to isolate. And, you know, you know, Peter calls uh, Satan a roaring lion. That's what a lion does. They separate the, 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 the. Uh, the fawn, or yeah, from the from the pack, from the pack, mm-hmm. or some whatever whatever animal they're chasing, and that's 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 what Satan does. He separates us, isolates us, and and then just beats us up. Right. And so to know that there's others who've gone before, to know that yep, I'm being treated this way because this is the way faithful people, godly people like the prophets get treated. Mm-hmm. That's an encouragement. Yeah, for sure. And and uh, and yet at the same time, you know, there's this discouraging reality that you know you know you and i are, we're re- relatively well-liked people <laughs> I, I like to think so i, I hope so i mean I, <laughs> but I, I do have some haters <laughs> uh, sure sure uh but um, once you start preaching more you'll get some too yeah yeah <laughs> the blessing right but um you know many of us are well respected and, and actually you know it's in, I'm, I'm not trying to point out an inconsistency per se, but also just a complexity in when it talks about folks who should be considered for eldership in the pastoral epistles. It says well somebody who's well of. spoken of, yeah. somebody who's, you know, respected in the community. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, well, I think the key of verse 26 is when he says, uh, woe to you when everyone speaks well of you. Mm. So that I think that everyone is the key key word. Um, yeah. If if. You know, there, there's, there's no question that having people speak well of you is a good thing. Just as you said, it's one of the qualities and qualifications. But if everybody is speaking well of you, if you have no detractors, no one who's arguing, 
uh, you might want to pause. <laughs> yeah. Because that's the way the false prophets were. Mm. Woo, I don't want to be in that group. You right. Know? And actually, Paul talks about that in, is it Second Timothy, where he says there's going to be a day when mm, yeah. people are just <clears throat> teaching whatever is going to make them popular, or yep. they're going to be giving people what they want to Second Timothy 4.3 is, uh, mm-hmm. is the first that comes to my mind. Um, they will gather around them uh, teachers who will teach what their itching ears, such a colorful phrase, their itching ears want to hear. Yeah. Man, is that described, as I scratch my ear, (laughs) man, is that described today? Mm. I mean, I I don't want to be too judgmental here, but every once in a while I will listen to famous preachers and I'll be like, oh my gosh, that's not true. Mm. And you know what are you what are you doing to scripture and or um, uh, teaching that's not even based upon scripture? It's just based upon you know some idea that they have. And I'm like, wow, that's what America wants. That's what America is flocking to hear. Mm. That's the teaching that for the itching ears. You know, scary. It it is very scary. Yeah, yeah. And so, and, and the woe, of course, is that um, there may be compromise. You, you, your foundation of faith may be uh, more compromised than you are aware of. Yeah. Um, and I think also implicit in that that warning is that there will always be false prophets. There mm-hmm. were in the Old Testament. Yeah. There were in the time of Jesus. And there were in the time of Paul. Yeah. There had been through church history whether we call them wolves in sheep clothing or whether we call them false teachers or false prophets, um, they're always around. Yeah. And so I think Jesus is also kind of reminding us, you know, since that group is always around, you do not want to be associated with them. Use them as a comparison. You know, is, is if, if that's what they're doing and I find myself doing something similar, that's a warning. You know, I, I'm headed down the wrong path. Right. Um, it's not just when everyone speaks well of you. There's other things that are true of false prophets mm-hmm. and false teaching. Yeah, and you know, you look through the rest of the epistles, and Paul and Peter and James and Jude—they're yeah. all, all yeah. warning about false teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, as we seek to kind of think about applying this, the, the, these ideas to our lives. Um, there, there's kind of two groups of people that you mentioned in your sermon throughout. There's one group of people who uh, maybe they're prone to um, give the truth harshly. Mm -hmm. And so they're, they they have sort of this self-fulfilling prophecy where, (laughs) well, you're responding poorly to what I'm saying because you, you hate Jesus when in reality (laughs) it's the way that you're presenting Jesus that's causing them to, so, so how do, how, but, and, but then there's also the, the ditch on the other side of the path where we can compromise our faith in order to be more well-liked. So the question I've written down here is, um, what's the difference between being hated for the way we present Mm. Jesus (laughs) versus being hated for the, for the Jesus that we present? Yeah, that's well, well said. Um, well, the difference I think is in the the speaker, the mm-hmm. the deliverer of the message. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I think both the obnoxiousness of some people who are like picking for a fight. You know, they're just looking to stir up trouble. Uh, Paul calls them troublemakers. <laughs> you know, and they're they want to argue about every little thing. You know. I think there's there's that problem, and then there's also the problem of people who are 
literally falsely representing Christ. Um, you know, one of the, the life group questions that, that I wrote this week was, you know, have you ever been hated for, for loving Jesus or for, for following Jesus? Or have mm-hmm. you ever seen that happen? Um, and we got talking and I ended up telling a story about um, Andrea and I, my wife and I were in Washington, D.C. Uh, one time for a uh, presidential inauguration. Mm. And there was all kinds of protesters on the streets. And one big group was a group from a church. Mm-hmm. And I can hardly, I can hardly say this. It just pains me so much, but they were, had these, all these signs and that said, God hates fags. Oh my. And I was so angry when I saw that because mm. you know, it's real time. They're right there in front of me. And so I went up to them <laughs> and I started arguing with them. I'm like, I'm a follower of Jesus. I know God. And that is false. God does not hate. He loves people. And you shouldn't even use that language. And I was just upset about all kinds of things, you know. And so, <laughs> and we got into an argument and they, they, they didn't hear anything I had to say, but, but, you know, I was not cool and calm and collected. I was angry that I felt like God was being misrepresented. Jesus was being misrepresented. Christians were being misrepresented. And, um, it's, it was just an ugly scene all the way around. And yet it's not hard to imagine those folks going back and saying, man, there was that guy he had. Exactly. And then, but then the the rest, you know, their buddy comes up, they say, no, let's, let's turn to Luke six, (laughs) you know, blessed are you and your, when people are coming up again, it's like these, you know, extremist extremes in, in, in religious circles. Mm -hmm. It's, it's so easy to create a self-fulfilling prophecy, uh, it's absolutely just, it's hard to and i'm suffering for jesus as i hold these horrific signs right um oh yeah and so whether it's false teaching or whether it's you know falsely representing christ you know i i i, I want to be judgmental for a minute on purpose i have to ask myself the question what is your relationship with god like mm. that you could find the ability to write that on a sign god hates you know, that terrible word, mm. what kind of God are you serving? What, you know, you know, and, and what kind of relationship do you have with God that you have completely missed that he wants you to witness to people who are homosexuals mm-hmm. uh, and to love them, yeah. to try to win them, not to trash them and not to beat them up and ridicule them what kind of evangelism is that that's right you know what kind of relationship do you have with god that enables you to say stuff like that and write stuff like that yeah Ah. you think and you think of the absolute opposite end of the spectrum there's a a book called people to be loved about the topic of homosexuality from Mm -hmm. a christian perspective Mm -hmm. that is I really enjoyed reading. It's the first book I've ever read in full about Who, the topic. Who's the author? Preston Sprinkle. Oh, I know Preston Sprinkle. Okay, yeah. And he, it, it I don't was, know him. I know his stuff. It, it was very, I found it to be very helpful. Yeah. Uh, just to reframe the whole conversation about that topic. Mm-hmm. And one of the things is he says, don't call, it's not, don't say the issue of homosexuality. We're not talking about an issue. We're talking about people yeah. that God loves yeah. that struggle with sin. Mm-hmm. And and so it's, I'm like, wow, this is a, very, a good, careful way to, to yeah. talk about this, where you're not compromising on the faith. Mm-hmm. It's an uncompromising book, mm-hmm. but where you're not um, going out of your way to create an issue by the language that you use. So I'd, 
I would recommend I, personally. I, yeah. I've, let's have a conversation about that book sometime. You know. Yeah. Um, when I was talking a little bit, a little bit about that, when I was describing one of the scenarios I've been in with, yeah. with, with a family member, mm-hmm. family members, and uh, I feel very strongly that that we've got to learn how to love people without approving with what what they're doing. Mm-hmm. We've got to learn to be able to do that, and I, I know we all struggle with that, some more than others. Um, and and I don't, I also don't want to, you know, argue with people who, you know might disagree with me that, you know, you shouldn't go to that. You should never have even intended to go to that wedding, referring back to my, my story. Mm. Um, that's not the point I want to argue about. Uh, but I do want to say, let's ask ourselves, what does it look like to love someone well? Yeah. And I don't think <laughs> the people on the street in Washington, D.C. holding those flag, those, those uh, signs were thinking that, you know, what does it look like to love these people well? Mm. Um, and so back to your question, uh, I think so. It's the, it's the it's the heart of the person. Are you being an obnoxious jerk? You know, are you being judgmental and condemning? Then Jesus is not talking about you. That there's a blessing coming for you. Uh, that's that's you, you can't claim the blessing of Jesus when you. What the real issue is that you're being persecuted because you're being a jerk. <laughs> you're you're uh, being obnoxious. You're being condemning. You're being judgmental. They're just acknowledging that that's what you're doing. You're not being persecuted for Jesus' sake. And then the other uh, ditch to fall into is, uh, are we accurately representing the teaching of Jesus? And um, I think it's possible to have your heart being is right, but you're still wrong about what you're teaching and what you're believing. Yeah. And so as you try to teach that or preach that or, or communicate that with a good heart, you're not accurately representing the gospel and the, the scripture. And so you're going to get some pushback. You're going to get some, maybe some haters, maybe some those who would exclude you. And that's a, that's a completely different thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I think we have to, you know, check our heart and we have to check our teaching, and which right. is very similar to some things Paul said to Timothy. Yeah. You know, watch your teaching. Well, why did he say that? Because not only does he want the teaching to be accurate, but he wants to make sure that, that you're not suffering for the wrong thing. That's right. <laughs> and, he, and he says, guard your heart. Mm-hmm. You know, so these are warnings and challenges that Paul gave to Timothy as yeah. he was training him. It's so interesting. You know, when, when we get into theological conversations about what's essential, mm-hmm. a lot of times people will start with a very long list. <laughs> oh, well, you know, <laughs> baptism by immersion or baptism by sprinkling, absolutely essential. That's right. <laughs> But when you get into some early church conversations and you're like, well, okay, so you're willing to die for baptism by immersion? Would you be? You know, it's, and I was, well, I don't know if it's that essential, yeah, you know, right. it's, but, but there are things absolutely that I would die for, yeah. um, you and know, should. and so as, as believers, I, that, that's a, that's been a helpful, just as I've been wrestling with these ideas and wrestling with, you know, what is most essential theologically as we're teaching? What mm-hmm. what do we need to guard? Yeah. Obviously, we, we want to guard the faith that we've received, but what what's what 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 am I willing to die for? And uh, um, that will sharpen and mm-hmm. and that that has sharpened me. It's mm-hmm. strengthened my convictions in some areas. It's also loosened my convictions in other areas because yeah. I'm like, you know what? That's 
Yeah. I'm not, th- that's not something we should die over. Yeah. I don't um, need to be as dogmatic about that. Right. Right. Um, so that's a, I think that's a healthy thing, but so, so that's kind of a, a question aimed at helping us understand this one profile of a person who maybe is, you know, putting their foot in their mouth and considering it persecution for the name of Jesus. Right. But I think many of us fall into this other idea where, man, I'm compromising or I'm shrinking away mm. when, when in reality I ought to be taking a stand for Jesus, which is a lot of what you were talking about at the end of your sermon. And mm-hmm. so I also want to ask some questions about, you know, when, when we talk about compromising or when we talk about taking a stand, mm. does that mean every time I meet someone for the first time, I'm, you know, I'm introducing myself, hi, my name is Clay Wright, and I'm a follower of Jesus. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, maybe that would be, you know, we, that's the thing that's most true about me. Uh-huh. Um, it's more true than my name. You know, it's, it's, it's a part of my identity. Yeah. But um, <laughs> what level of projection or what level of, uh, you know, how, how out there should we be about being followers of Jesus? What, is, what does that look like in daily life yeah. to, to where it's, you know, you know, how, how, uh, yeah, yeah. How, how much ought to, ought we to project our allegiance to Jesus? Yeah. Um, I think it, it depends upon whether this is a setting where Jesus is being trashed and mm-hmm. Jesus's name is being run through the mud. You absolutely need to stand up for Jesus. But if this is an evangelistic opportunity, I would t- take a completely different approach. Mm. Um, you know, I, I read a book one time that talked about how when our people are coming to Christ, there's multiple hurdles, barriers that they have to get over. And one of them is the barrier of, I don't, I don't know the gospel. Or I don't understand the gospel. Yeah. Or I, or I've heard bits, I have a, a, a false notion of the gospel. And so we need to, we need to, to remove the hurdle by explaining the gospel accurately. And what this author was arguing about is, you know, that's those are important things, but let's not create hurdles. Let's not yeah. create obstacles. Let's tr- clear as way as many of those as possible so that, you know, coming to faith is as easy as possible because it's hard enough for a person to wrestle with the fact that I am a sinner and it's it's not just, you know, something I do. It's who I am, and I'm guilty for my sin. Mm. Those are those are two really big hurdles to get over. I have to admit yeah. that I'm a sinner. I have to admit that I'm guilty and that I'm living in treason. I'm living in rebellion to the eternal God. Whew, those are those are hard barriers to get over with, <laughs> yeah. get over. And they have to get, them, get over them, but they're not going to come to faith. Yeah. So it says those are so big and so hard, and there's some other ones that are hard, um, can we can we get as rid of as many as possible as get as rid as many as possible as possible the cultural barriers? For instance, you know if um, a person has uh, you know a really bad a bad experience with church people, or like last night in this is Wednesday, yeah, last night in our life group, someone was telling some stories about um, their experience with Christian groups, mm. you know, whether they're nonprofit groups or whether they're um, you know, just groups of Christians who were being obnoxious and who, by the way that they were uh, speaking and acting, uh, they were, you know, misrepresenting Christianity. And they, uh, and so people who were 
don't know Christians and don't know Christianity and don't know God, don't know Jesus. They're only, the only thing they know about Christianity is these people who were claiming to be Christians. And they're like, if that's what Christianity is, I don't want to have nothing to do with it. Mm. So if I, if there are cultural barriers to Christianity, no, I don't want to come right out to a person who I'm trying to win to Christ. Um, you know, with, you know, hi, I'm, I'm Jim Minley. I'm a Christian. Uh, if, if they've got barriers, I want to help them experience the love of God, experience a, a Christian who's a kind, generous, warm person that kind of gets behind their defenses before they could just can write me off. Oh, you're a Christian. I don't care what you have to say. I don't want to listen. You know, I know what you're like. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I don't want, you know, people might be offended by this, but I don't think I am um, being afraid. I think I am being yeah. winsome. I think yeah. I am being strategic and that I know that people have caricatures of Christianity. And since I know that I want to defeat those, mm-hmm. I want to give them, a, um, here's another story. I, I was reading this past week about a famous actress. I don't know who she is. She's in a, she was in a famous sitcom Boy, I don't I don't watch sitcoms, so I, I but everybody would, who watches TV would know these people. Sure, and uh, she was befriended by a, a lady named Candace Burr. Burr, do you know that name? I don't. Um, uh, she's a, a commentator on TV or something. So she's a Christian, and uh, she was witnessing to her and loving her, and and eventually invited her to church. And she's like, No, I I, I don't want to go to church. I I know what church people are like, and she's like. You just it's just because of our friendship, would you just come this one time? And she said, because we were good friends, because I liked her, I, was, I, I decided to go. And she got to church, and she was expecting you know, a bunch of narrow-minded, uh, because this is what her view of Christian Christians were, mm-hmm. narrow-minded, uh, bigoted, you know, highly uh, judgmental people who, you know, just were just kind of mean, you know, people. Because that's what she had seen in the press, that Christians are narrow-minded, they're bigoted. So she didn't had never met a Christian, let alone a group of them. Yeah. And she's like, this, this, is the, you know, this has got to be the only church that's like this. And, and Candace was like, oh, actually, no, this, there's, this, is, this is what a true church is like. Mm-hmm. And she fell in love with the church. She fell in love with the people. Mm. She eventually came to, came to Christ, and she's wow. like, "I'm memorizing the Bible. I'm, I read the Bible through." <laughs> yeah. I, I love, she actually said Christianity. I wish she had said Jesus, but, you know, I love Christianity. It's nothing like I had been mm. told. Wow. And that was so revealing to me. And it just pained me to hear that there are so many people who don't know what real Christianity is like, real yeah. Christians are like. And so if I find that I'm talking to a person like that, I want to, you know, help them <laughs> taste the love of God and mm-hmm. experience the uh, being loved by a person and and being in conversation with a person who's not right. you know judgmental and and angry and yelling about everything and and kind of get behind their defenses mm-hmm. so uh, that's uh, you know so the answer to your question is it depends on the setting depends yeah. on the audience and even with you know I, I, it's interesting again if you look at the examples in scripture uh or or in early church history uh about persecution and mm-hmm. should you try to flee for, for flee persecution you know there are times when they were persecuted and so they got up and they went to the next town mm-hmm. were they fleeing persecution I, I mean 
in some ways they were fleeing into persecution mm-hmm. uh, by moving to the next town. But in some ways, you know, they were being prudent well, and, and eight, they, moving along. They fled know? from persecution. Yeah. And, and so there are times where they were. Um, there are times in early church history, you know, the, the ichthus, the, the mm-hmm. fish symbol. Yeah. You know, that was a way of Christians identifying one another. Secret handshake. Yes. It's like this secretive thing because they, it was not safe to right. say, hey, I'm a, I'm a follower of Jesus. Are you a follower of Jesus as well? Yeah. So instead they would draw a half, you know, a half circle type, you know, half of the fish. And then if the other person would complete the other half of that fish symbol, then they would know, okay, yeah. we're, I'm safe. We're, yeah. we're amongst brothers. Yeah. Um, in some ways that's a, that's an attempt to avoid persecution, but then there's also the, the other side of the coin where, you know, where, uh, you know, Paul says that the, the, it's prophesied over Paul, man, if you go to Jerusalem, mm-hmm. you're going to be bound, Acts you're going to be killed. Yeah. And Paul says, well, this is, this is what I have to do. So he's fleeing into it. Mm-hmm. So how, how do we discern when, mm-hmm. you know, we're around the cooler and there are people, you know, folks are, they, they're moving from just kind of jawing about politics to, you know, saying hateful things about the church, mm-hmm. hateful things about Jesus, disparaging things about the faith. When is it time to say, you know what, I don't support this conversation. I'm going to move away versus yeah. I take a stand first. You know, how do we how do we do I, that? I think that's one of the, the, the biggest arguments for being led by the spirit. Mm. You know, I, yes, I, I wouldn't want to give a stock answer to that. I yeah. think it's absolutely essential. Because there'll be a time where the Holy Spirit might say to you, stand up for Jesus. And so you wade into that conversation. Hey, guys, time out. I know that there is a lot of caricatures about Christians, Christians, and I know that a lot of Christians make Christianity look bad, but I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus. And it's not the way, you know, it's always depicted. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, and be willing to be ridiculed, be willing to be made, you know, made, made fun of or even mildly persecuted. And I think there's another opportunity, another time where you might want to notice who's in the conversation and then, you know, later on, pull someone aside and say, you know, I noticed that you were taking this position. Have you ever considered, you know, and, and go one-on-one with them. And so, you know, being led by the spirit is just essential. He, he is, yeah. you know, the great evangelist. And so, uh, I am, whenever I talk about evangelism, I always talk about make sure you're being led by the Spirit. We're going to teach you some things to memorize. We're going to teach you some plans to yeah. present. We're going to teach you some apologetic answers. These are all good things. These are all tools. But the most important thing is is to be led by the Holy Spirit, to know when to use what. Yeah. And so that's the same way I would answer your, your question. Um yeah, that's good. It, because the, I, I don't know that there, like you're saying, there's not another good answer apart from that, because it's it, it really does depend. And that's with these varied examples in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. Clearly, it, it's it's the leading of the Holy Spirit that's making the difference. Absolutely. Because I believe that if the Holy Spirit was leading the apostles back into that same town to to be killed for their faith, they would have gone because Absolutely. that's what they eventually did. Yes. Yep. Uh, and yet God has a plan for each of our lives to make an impact for his kingdom and if we're leaning into that, uh, we, we shouldn't be afraid of persecution when it comes, yep. but we also should be prudent and, and, and uh, attentive to the plan that God has. Yeah. Um, There's lots of good reasons to, to live led by the Holy Spirit, and that's one of them. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Um, so as we're kind of wrapping up this conversation and, and wrapping up this series called Flipped, where we're looking at the Beatitudes. That's right. This was the last, yeah, this it, was the was. last sermon. This series. Um, is there any last uh, comments you want to make to us about the blessings that Jesus is talking about or mm-hmm. about this way or about this kingdom? Uh, as you're thinking about 
a church who's formed by these words. Yeah. Um, <laughs> go back to that first sermon that I preached um, where I talked about let's take seriously the words that Jesus said. I think I want to come back to that yeah. and, and call us. When we talk about being Jesus people in this church, talking about being a Jesus, Jesus church, uh, that starts with actually knowing the words of Jesus, taking them seriously. Uh, when we have questions, going to him and saying, I don't understand this. How could this be? Or, But interact with him. Yeah. Let's not talk about Jesus only. Let's talk to him. Hmm. Let's uh, let's really live our lives centered on Jesus. Yeah. And um, and at the end of the day, that's what he was doing with the 12 disciples is he was training them how to live Christocentric lives, how to live your life where you're not leaning on your own understanding, but in all your ways, you're acknowledging him. He's the center. He's he's everything. And uh, and that's what I dream of when I dream about when I pray about Church Open Door is that we yeah. would be a Christ-like church for the for the sake of the world, mm-hmm. and that we would be a church that as as a as a group are becoming like Christ and as individuals, and that has to include really wrestling with the words of Jesus and taking time and slowing down and wrestling with what did he mean? What is he saying? Well, how does this apply to my life? So you know. Part of that includes listening to sermons and listening to cutting room floor and growing and learning, but it also includes you by yourself or with, a, with a, maybe a family member getting into the word. And yes. so I, I come back to that over and over again and want to just challenge people, be a, a, a person of the word of God yeah. and especially the words of Jesus, yeah. the things that, he's, that he is recorded as saying. So, so I, th- that, I think that would help us hear the flipping <laughs> That Jesus is doing, mm. and so that we can respond in a way that is consistent with yeah. becoming more like Jesus. Amen. Yeah. Uh, so let it be uh, of, of us um, that we were, were increasingly shaped by, increasingly governed by Jesus's words. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you, Pastor Jim, for, for no, leading us into this series. Yeah. And I know. Um, we talked a little bit about how this was a, you know, a lot of folks would just have preached these words in one sermon. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you know, or, or the all of Luke six in one sermon. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, the spirit led you to, yeah. to allow us to spend some more time with it. And I think we're, we're the better for it. So thank you. Um, and, and thank you as well for joining us on this uh, conversation. And uh, if, if you want to see me wearing a Roman Centurion hat, make sure you check out this helmet. Uh, episode. Yeah, helmet. On uh, Make sure you check us out on YouTube uh, at uh, Open Door uh tv on youtube and uh you can you can see us there and uh if you really feel like making me happy you can give us a like you can follow you know subscribe all those sorts of fun send in things. a question send in a question yeah um we want this to be a conversation that you can be a part of as well so if you got questions about the beatitudes or as we're getting into this next sermon series mm-hmm. uh actually the next sermon series is going to be advent because this sunday is the first sunday of advent but it's going to be launched out of uh, the words of Jesus in, in Luke chapter six. Yes. So, uh, 
I'm excited about about that. <laughs> so if you've got questions about Luke and, and what we're studying, send them in. We love to interact with those. Um, and as we're getting into Advent, let me just give you one last uh, opportunity to be a person of the word, which is to uh, join us in our daily devotions. Mm-hmm. You can uh, text emails to our church phone number, 440-323-4644, and uh, subscribe to the daily devotions. There's going to be an Advent reading for uh, every day of Advent, starting the first Sunday of Advent, which is December 3rd, mm-hmm. all the way up until we celebrate Christmas together. That's, this year, I think that's December, December 25th. This yeah, this year it is, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, not to check. But uh, and and you can join us in anticipating, uh, you know, looking forward to uh, or looking back to the the first coming of Christ, and also looking forward to yes. uh, His imminent return. So we love to be people of the Word, and we love to celebrate Christmas together. So I, I I invite you to do that with us through the daily devotions this year. You can also pick up an Advent calendar that has those readings at your campus. But I just wanted to Good. make that invitation. Nice little plug. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, without further ado, uh, see you at Bethlehem Walk. See you on the Advent devotionals. See you at church on Sunday, and see you next week. Yeah. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast. But don't let the conversation end here. Find a group where you can deepen your roots at connect.opendoor.tv. And don't forget to submit your questions to podcast.opendoor.tv. Have a great week, and we'll see you Sunday.